Would you turn please in your Bibles this evening to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13 and 5. We've been talking about this for some weeks now and I believe it is very timely word from the Lord. Hebrews 13.5 says, let your conversation, which means your manner of life, let it be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said that our whole way of life is to be devoid of something, without something. What? What is supposed to be noticeably absent from our lives? Conspicuously missing. No covetousness. Well, have you heard a whole lot of teaching on the subject? A lot of people hadn't. And so uh, it means it has not been a desire and a pursuit, but it should be. If the Lord says, I want your life to be completely free from this, then we should endeavor to find out what it is so we can identify it and not yield to it, not give it any place. And when we find some, expel it, change, get rid of it. Everybody say, without Without covetousness. covetousness. Say it like this. This is how I live. No covetousness. covetousness. I refuse refuse to covet covet anything, anything, anytime. anytime. I do not covet. covet. Well, what does covetousness mean? What does it mean to covet? Let me give you the definitions again. One definition says to desire. And that's one of the most basic, simple, it means to desire. One says to long for another one says to set the heart on another one says to sigh for so it has to do with longing for something we'd say wanting it desiring it now if you look at the words sometimes it talks about coveting earnestly the best gifts so there are things that it's okay to covet It's okay to covet more of the presence of God, more of the glory of God manifest, more of the good things, God's revelation and his will and his plan, the gifts and manifestations of his spirit. We're to hunger for these things and desire them and desire them and desire them and long for them. And and really, you know, that's a whole other message. You can't just be, eh, whatever. It'd be nice. That doesn't work. You got to hunger for it. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they're the ones that get filled with it. And that is one of the problems with some of the manifestations of the Spirit. A lot of folk just don't want it enough. One problem is you got millions of Christians don't even believe in the manifestations of the Spirit. They don't even believe in it. Well, they're certainly not hungry for it then, are they? And then you got a lot of other folk, they believe in it on paper. They say, yeah, we believe in that at our church, but not hungry for it. 
I said, not hungry for it. And if you've got 90% of the people that are not hungry for it, one or two people cannot just come into that group and make it happen. So, you know, it'd be good for us to believe for some increased appetite. Some increased hunger for the things of God in areas that we haven't had. And I'm not talking about people playing church and playing with spiritual things. I'm talking about the real thing. But you've got to be hungry for it. You and me. So he said, covet earnestly the best gifts. But then are there things that we're not supposed to let ourselves desire? Yeah. Can a Christian desire things they're not supposed to? Oh, yeah. Because, see, you're, it's your spirit that got born again. Not your mind. And not your body. You got to control your body. You got to get your mind renewed and control it too. So absolutely you can desire things. Desire them strongly. Things that you should not even be allowing yourself to think about. Now notice in uh, Exodus. The 20th chapter. You don't have to turn there. I'm reviewing a little bit. Exodus 20 says you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor ask to anything that is your neighbor's. Deuteronomy 5.21 says it like this, neither shall you desire your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, his field, his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, his ass, anything that is your neighbor's. This is one of the top ten. Of the Ten Commandments I'm talking about. And uh, he said you're not to let yourself desire anything that is your neighbor's. If it is theirs, what do you know about it? I am not supposed to want it. Or let myself look at it. Or think about what it would be like to have it. Or use it. Or do it. Or live in it. Or Right? And when you have faith, you realize you don't have to do that anyway. God will give you your own. He will give you your own. Say it out loud. God God will give me me my own. own. So that just completely eliminates any reason to be longing after somebody else's house or job or husband or wife or jewelry our cars, our dog or cat or land or whatever. Because God, say it again, God, God will, give me my own. will give me my own. But you'll have to believe Him. You'll have to obey Him. You'll have to wait on Him. Now, uh, in saying that, we've covered a lot of ground on this already. And uh, CDs are available. You can download it for free off the internet and get caught up with us. But I want you to go with me to Colossians, the third chapter tonight. Colossians 3. And get into what I believe is the heart of this thing. The core, the heart of this thing called covetousness. The root of it, maybe we should say. Colossians 3 and 1. 
He said, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When he says you're dead, what part of you is dead? Is that all of you? You're all dead? Well, no. Inside, we've been made new creations in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are alive unto God. But like we just got through saying, our body didn't get born again. Our mind didn't get born again. Our feelings. And so the outward man, you count dead. You have to reckon it dead, Romans said. Well, if it felt and acted dead, you wouldn't have to reckon it dead. You got to treat it like it is. If it really was, you know, dead as far as no activity, then there'd be nothing to deal with. He said, but you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. See, we talked a while back about using the word love too loosely. I love my car. I love my house. I I love my ring and my watch. I love my... Well, he said, set your affection on things above. The things that ought to really matter to us are not in the earth. As far as stuff is concerned, you can enjoy things down here, but they shouldn't mean too much to you. Because after all, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. I don't care how nice it is. I don't care how expensive it is. It is just stuff. It's not going to save anybody. It's not going to make you into somebody else. We enjoy it. We're thankful for it. But when it's all said and done, it's just stuff. Like I heard uh, two uh, students discussing at the Bible school where I used to minister. One of them was supposed to be testifying, but he's really just bragging about all the stuff he had. And it was kind of annoying. And the guy, one of the guys he was talking to was fresh and green and Fresh to Bible school and broke. And, and he said, well, so what? Your pile of ashes will be bigger than mine. <laughs> what does that mean? Your pile of ashes will be. Everything down here is going to melt with fervent heat. Hmm? The Rolls Royces. The Gulfstream Jets. Right? The $100 million mansions. The big diamonds. The fanciest buildings and most ornate lands. It's all going to burn. And so, you know, all of us are just here for a short time. And uh, the scripture said, you know, you brought nothing into this world. And it is certain. (laughs) Certain. That you can carry nothing out 
One fellow said, you never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Because you really can't take it with you. (laughs) So all the stuff is only to be used for a season. We, you know, so many times we like the thought of ownership, but really it's all temporary use. Because none of it's going to last and you can't take any of it out of this world with you. So it's use of something. And what's the best use of stuff? Loving people, blessing people, helping people, making people excited and meeting their needs, taking the strain and pressure off of them and making them feel important and blessed and loved. And that's the real purpose of stuff. It's a material tool to express the love of God to other people when you use it right. Now, there's a whole lot of other folk that don't know anything about that definition. (laughs) To them, he that dies with the most toys wins. And that is not a scripture. And that is not true. You don't win anything. Jesus said, what does it advantage a man if he gains the entire world and loses his soul? What did he do? Didn't do a thing. Nothing. Didn't care how much stuff he had, what his net worth was. Wasn't even able to keep his soul. It's total failure in life. Complete failure in life, even though he might have been the richest man on the planet. A complete failure. So covetousness has to do with the longing and the desire and wanting. And he says here, set your affection on what? How many remember Jesus said, where your treasure is? That's where your heart is. Some people's heart is in their garage. Some people's heart is in a vault somewhere, right, in a bank. And some people's heart, I've heard people say, my heart and soul is in this place. Bad place for it. (laughs) You can be thankful for you, but we're believing for our houses and buildings and lands. But it's just stuff. It's not the most important stuff. Set your affection on things above. Come on, do you see that? And not on the things on the earth. Why? Because all this stuff is passing away. The Lord said it's like a flower. We have springtime. We see it happening right now. Man, these flowers. We had some tulips at the house. Man, those things look wonderful. Not now. I mean, they were, they were really pretty, but just for a little window. The Bible tells you and me, that's our life. That's our life. We're like a flower that blooms and then that's it. That's your life. That's my life. Now that'd be depressing (laughs) if you didn't know God and if you didn't know that This is the shortest thing we'll ever do. 
that this is really just some training for what's coming, the real stuff that comes later. Oh, you've been reading in Revelation, right? Did you? Man, I could preach on that. I, ah, glory to God. That's what we got to look forward to. And all this temporary blooming and fading and living and dying stuff will all be history, gone. There will be no more death. No more curse. No more dying. No more cemeteries. No more hospitals. The flowers won't die. The trees won't die. Nothing will die. Nothing. Including you. Isn't that wonderful? Glory to God. And you and I and the whole kingdom are being groomed for leadership, rulership positions. And one of the big qualifications for this is to be devoid of covetousness. It is true to qualify here and now. And what we're doing now is going to affect our qualifications for what comes next. Covetousness. And read the rest of this and you'll see why it is such a huge, huge deal. He said, uh, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Somebody say, I'll be there. there. Oh, yeah. Mortify, therefore, your members. Whoa, whoa. What's that got to do with that? (laughs) What? What does mortify mean? Boy, I was mortified. I was scared. No, uh uh-uh. Other translations, what do y'all have? Put to the death, kill. Yeah, has to do, you know, mortify, mortician, has to do with death. Death. Mortify what? Your members which are upon the earth. Well, what is on the earth right now? That's your body, and it has members. Eyes they want to see stuff. Ears that want to hear stuff. Hands that want to touch stuff. Feet that want to go places. You got members. And what did the Bible tell you to do with your members? That's kind of harsh. Put it to death. If you read the whole thing, it has the connotation of what happened with Jesus' body. It was crucified. Put to death. Why would he say that? Because we got to control ourselves. If you just let yourself go with every whim and every desire that crosses your thoughts and your feelings, it'll ruin you. I said it'll ruin you. It'll ruin your witness. It'll ruin your relationships. We can't just let ourselves go and follow every desire. That'd be yielding to covetousness. We must not. I've said this before, and I want to. Something the Lord said to me because I prayed about certain situations and actually questions that a lot of people have concerning some things. And 
always have, but in modern times it's emphasized. And the Lord gave me this phrase, our desires don't define us. Our desires don't tell us who we are. Because our desires can be controlled. And they can be changed. They can be completely changed. I used to detest Brussels sprouts. I don't mean I just didn't like them. I mean, I didn't want to be in the same room with them. Now I eat them every opportunity I get. I just set out to demonstrate to myself that desires are changeable. If there was something I didn't desire on the table, it was a Brussels sprout. And now I actually desire them. That desire completely changed. From, you know, one reason I did it is because I was so far away from wanting them. I wanted to demonstrate it to myself. And not just eat it and, you know, having to control myself while I'm trying to. No, I don't mean, I mean, actually, could I get to the place where I like the things? And I did. Your flesh is trainable. Your flesh is completely trainable. You are today the way you have become, not the way you have to be. You become this way, your body has been trained to be and do what it does right now. Some of it might have started when you were a child. But your body has been trained to be and do what it is. Now we've talked about this. If you feed it, it will grow. If you feed wrong desires, they will increase. And you'll train your body to do things that are wrong. Now, of course, you know, watching stuff you shouldn't watch is a part of that. But also listening to other people talk about doing wrong things. Listening to them describe how much they enjoy it or want to do it is letting them feed wrong desires in you. And you needn't think, well, you know, I'm not going to act on it. I'm not going to do it. I'll just listen to it, but I won't let it affect me. Impossible. Everything you hear is affecting you. Whether you think so or not, it is. And what you hear all the time cannot help but change you. That's the glorious thing about being around the Word. But it also works negatively if you're around people that are doing wrong things, that are covetous. And that's one reason the Bible says if a brother is covetous, you're not supposed to fellowship with him. Did you know that? Apparently not. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the uh, fifth chapter. Hold your place in Colossians. I'm not through there. 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. He said, I wrote to you in an epistle not to company, which means fellowship, with fornicators. 
What's a fornicator? Hmm? That's people having sex that are not husband and wife. He said, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners. Notice what he mentions right after that. Fornicators, covetous. And you'll find that this is mentioned uh, frequently. Why? Because it goes together. Why adultery, fornication, what's going on there? You coveted somebody's body. And a lot of times didn't care anything about them. Just coveted their body. And you weren't supposed to desire it. But you let yourself. Now here he says, I told you don't company with fornicators. But then he specified, he said, not the fornicators of this world are the covetous extortioners. Now, people try to put some of these things in different categories. But covetousness is in exactly the same category as adultery and fornication. What is covetousness? See, there's some people that are really proud that they've not committed adultery. But they're terribly guilty of covetousness. They long after other people's stuff and they begrudge them their stuff. He said, uh, for then you must needs go out of the world. The world is full of people that are covetous. And not controlling their bodies. And he said, I'm not telling you to try to get away from everybody that's doing these things. Verse 11. But now I've written to you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or what? Covetous. Or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. What's an extortioner? Extortioner is a Christian who takes advantage of somebody in a deal, sticks them, hurts them, takes advantage of somebody, uses something to manipulate somebody and get money out of them some way or another. He said, if somebody does these things and they call themselves a brother, these people you're not supposed to company and fellowship with. Now, there's numerous reasons why. But one of them is for your protection. You do not need to hear them tell you at lunch every day how much money they scammed off of somebody. And how they got a new car and they're buying this and they're doing that. And how much they're enjoying their two women on the side. You don't need to hear that. And you might like to think, well, I, you know... It's not going to affect me. I'm just going to, you know, be a pillar in his life. Well, why didn't he say that you could do it then instead of saying, don't company with him? Because here's this brother knows better. This is not an unbeliever. This is a believer. They know better. And in spite of what they know, they're choosing to live this way. And he says, don't fellowship with them. Also, they need to realize that they're on the outside looking in and take assessment of what's going on with their life. And if, uh, you know, people are allowed to continue 
and even promoted in the things of God with a wrong lifestyle, that's wrong. Sends the wrong message. Boy, y'all got quiet. I'm just reading scripture, am I not? So I'm talking about fellowship. You don't need to hear other people describe their covetousness and how much they want this. Young people, a lot of uh, teenage boys, all in the world they talk about and think about is girls. And a lot of young girls, all they talk about is boys. You don't need to be around people. That's all they talk about. Hmm? And I don't care how much of a buddy you think he is. If all he does is every time a woman walks by, he goes, whoo, wow, whoo, look, whoo, whoo. It's a woman. <laughs> you don't need to hear that. Because right. if you're endeavoring to control your desires... And you're controlling yours, but they're not controlling theirs. It hurts you. You need to be around people who are making an effort to control themselves. If you want to be without covetousness. Especially if you've been tempted in an area. You've been tempted to drink, get drunk. And somebody's describing to you what kind of liquor they just got and how good it was. And they just had a big slug of it before they saw you. And man, it gave them a buzz. And they forget, you do not need to hear that. Because what is it doing? It's feeding your desire. It's making you want some. That's why you don't, especially if somebody's supposed to be a brother, you don't fellowship with people that are full of covetousness and they're living this way. Why? Because it's going to feed wrong desires in you. And pull you, can suck you into what they're in, if you let it. Well, we're having fun, I guess. Oh, yeah, we're making good progress. Colossians 3. This is the Bible, isn't it? We love the Bible, don't we? All the Bible. Not just a few verses here. We love it all. And we, our purpose is to live it all. Practice it all. Colossians 3, verse 5, mortify, therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Say that out loud. Covetousness, which is Idolatry. He didn't say it was like idolatry. What did he say? It is. it is. Covetousness is idolatry. Now that's the root of this thing. That's the heart of this thing that we've been on for weeks now. Covetousness is idolatry. Listen to uh, Leviticus 19. Don't turn there, but just listen. Leviticus 19.4, the Lord said to them and to us, Turn not to idols, nor make yourself molten gods. I am the Lord, your God. Why don't have another God? Because we got a God. We have a God. 
Have you noticed in the scripture how much is said about idolatry, particularly in the Old Testament? And there's a lot more in the New than you might think. Why so much? And wasn't it one of the biggest causes for judgment on the people of God? Their idolatry? Wasn't it one of the things that angered the Lord the most? It was. Is it an issue today? Well, now here we just got through saying covetousness is idolatry. What is covetousness? Longing, sighing, wanting. Now we know if we saw one of, you know, you saw me, I saw you in your house with a gold statue. And you bow down in front of it, you're worshiping it, you're pray- We know that is bad. We know there ain't no excuse for that. I don't care what kind of day you're having. You don't go in and bow down before a statue. But here's something that is the same. The same. As bowing before a statue or praying to a rock. And what is it? Can you covet a car? A house, somebody's spouse, money, all kind of things you could covet. Is it the same as worshiping a statue? People haven't seen that though, have they? Why would it be the same? (laughs) Yeah, that's enough. (laughs) But I want us to get into it. Why is it the same? How is it the same? With God, it's never about the externals. It's always the heart. Obviously, the heart is the same when one is coveting as when one is worshiping a statue. The heart is the same. Why would that be? Exactly. Replacing God. You're replacing God with something or someone. And he is never okay with it. Never. Go back to Exodus, please. Well, there'd have to be some major changes for us to run the aisles tonight. But uh, (laughs) I'm going to stay with it. (laughs) Not every service is supposed to be a shouting service. Some services are supposed to be repentance services. We need them all. You're in Exodus, is that right? Look at the 34th chapter. Exodus 34. Say it again. Covetousness is idolatry. Are you an idolater? Absolutely not. Have you ever coveted anything? Don't answer that. Out loud. If you've coveted anything, then you were an idolater. Didn't say you were like one, said you are. Can you see why the Lord said, I want your lifestyle to be completely without any of this. You talk about something that makes the Lord angry. Have you read the scriptures? Have you seen his response to his people getting into idolatry? Oh, hmm. 
Do we have to be idolaters? No. no. Do we have to covet? No. Can we control ourselves? Yes. If we're tempted to want something we shouldn't want, can we control ourselves? It'd be the same thing as if for some reason you felt compelled to fall down and pray before a statue. Could you control yourself? Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly the same as if your tongue falls out when somebody's new car goes by or somebody's spouse or whatever their position. Same thing. Can you keep from falling down and worshiping the calf? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Why? You already have a God. You already have a God who supplies all your needs. He satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry heart. There is no need. There is no desire that you have that he can't fill the right way. But if you throw that off. And you're going to get it another way. Then you have set up something else in his place. And it is idolatry. Exodus 34. Exodus 34. And 12. Take heed to yourself. We'd say watch out. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Where you are going, lest it be for a snare in the midst of you. Does it matter who you hang with? But you shall destroy their altars and break their images and cut down their groves. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, capital J, is a jealous God. Is he? He is. Now I don't think. That a lot of modern Christians. Have connected. Covetousness. With spiritual adultery. And unfaithfulness. But it's always been that way. One thing might help you. to You and me to see. And I don't encourage you to study this. I've studied a little bit, you know, through school and all this kind of stuff. But some of the heathen practices of idolatry and what they did. Most all of them so-called worship of this goddess and that god basically were drunken orgies. And that's why they had such good turnout. For their services. They did. They had their priests. Uh, I won't even name all the gods. But you know. Some of them are mentioned in the scripture. I don't like calling their names. I'll have one God. There is only one God. But they would come together. for their To worship their idol. And it was a free for all. I mean there was every kind of sexual thing going on. There was every kind of drug that they had. And alcohol. And debauchery. And debased themselves. To the end. I mean they could teach modern sinners a thing or two. I actually had the Lord say something to me a few months ago. I hadn't thought about. He said the world. The earth. The world is not worse than it's ever been. (laughs) 
I thought, wow. Because <laughs> you tend to think that way, don't you? But it's not. It's not as bad as it was in Noah's time. The world, God has seen some stuff. <laughs> he, he has seen it all, man. And I'm telling you, people, you sin, people have done some lewd, bad stuff. And some of the worst they ever did is in connection with this idol worship. If you look up the word idol, one of the main definitions means spirit or demon. They had spiritual worship, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It wasn't God. And they yielded to their flesh and did everything that they could imagine and thought it wanted to do, and it was popular. But see, their so-called gods had no morals. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the holy God. Different from anything and everything that's ever been talked about and recorded. He gave them perfect, fair practices. What was right and what was wrong. What was good and what was bad. What was clean and pure. What was defiled and dirty and bad. He hadn't changed. Our access to him through Jesus has, but he hasn't changed. But the covetousness. And the idolatry together. And he said, you shall worship no other God. Why? Because you got a God. You got the God. There is no other God like him or comparable to him. He is the only creator of heavens and earth. Everything else is fallen spirits and imagination. And nothing. But people did. They'd leave him and they'd leave him and go after this other stuff. Why? Because it allowed them to pursue what their flesh wanted. And there are some recent moves in our modern world to revive some of these religions. And it's exactly the same reason. Because it allows the practitioners to pursue their base desires and call it religion. Go to uh, Exodus 20, you're what, 34? Go to 25, ah, 32, excuse me. Just back a couple of chapters to 32. This is one of the uh, most classic standard depictions of idolatry I know of. It is the golden calf. And what happened with it? Have you read it? Do you remember it? You got to remind yourself of a little background. These people have met God in a way that nobody has before. God came and visited them with signs and wonders when their parents and parents and parents before them had been slaves and powerless in Egypt. And he brought them out with a powerful, mighty hand. And he made them rich. And he split the Red Sea. And he destroyed all their enemies. 
And it brought water out of the rock and fresh manna out of the sky. And I mean, they are seeing the glory of God in the pillar of fire and the cloud all day, all night. They are living with miracles, bread falling out of the sky. They have tangible, physical evidence of God every day and every night. We have more than we think. You can get used to anything. But uh, the Lord called Moses up into the mount and gave him the Ten Commandments and spoke to him and gave him ordinances and statutes for the people. And he stayed longer than they thought he should have stayed. Chapter 1, uh, verse 1 of chapter 32. Exodus 32, 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed. Now we know it was 40 days. What's that, a month and a week or whatever? He delayed to come down out of the mount. The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and they said to him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Make us gods? It hadn't been Days ago, they heard the voice of God coming out of the mountain, the fire. And, you know, one of the first things he told them, you'll have no other gods before me. And they said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Lord, he is God. And 40 days later, they say, let's make us some gods. And uh, they said, as for this Moses... The man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We don't know what has become of him. Notice they didn't say anything about God. They left him out. It's hard to talk about making idols and God in the same breath. So now they have brought all this down to just a man. Brought them out. A man brought them out. And this man we ain't seen or heard from him for a month and a half. And so who knows what happened to him. So we need us some gods. And Aaron said, uh, break off your gold earrings and that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Well, what an idea. And all the people broke off the gold earrings that was in the ears and they brought them to Aaron and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. You know, when he was describing what happened to Moses, he said, I put him in and this out came this calf. <laughs> that don't sound like out came the calf. They fashioned it with graving tools after they made it into a molten calf. No, they worked on this thing. And he said, these are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It just, I don't know, it staggers your mind almost to think about what happened just a few days before. They're all standing out there at the mount. God came down in fire on top of the mountain and spoke to them and they heard his voice. And one of the first things he told them, no other gods before me, no images Hadn't been too much. And so. Moses is gone. A little longer than they thought he should have been. I don't know that he told them how long he's going to be gone. 
But you, you can really see something about the nature of the flesh. It is impatient. Isn't it? Oh, the flesh. And here's the thing. They wanted to cast off restraint. They want to do stuff they know they're not supposed to do. See, God has given them laws, including the one, the last one's been one of our main texts all through this. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or any of your neighbor's stuff. But see, their flesh is not liking the constraints of morality. So they want another religion where we can do what we want to do. Where we can have drunken orgies like the heathen do. And so they did. It wouldn't have mattered if it was a gold calf or a gold goose or a gold block. Just some excuse to throw off restraint. And I won't go through all of it and read it. But you read it, you'll find out they were all naked. Why? Huh? Coveting and idolatry. Now, without going into this, look in Ezekiel 6. We could spend a lot of time here if we had it, but I think you've had enough for right now. One of the things we need to understand is when Moses came down out of the mount, God was really upset with these people, wasn't he? It was depicted by Moses throwing the tablets down and breaking them. They had broken the covenant. As far as God was concerned, everything was off. They broke covenant with him, so he had no obligations toward them. And he wants to wipe them off the planet and start over. You remember that? Over what? Idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. What's the problem? They replaced him. His servant is not gone two months. Because he wasn't there holding their hand, looking them in the eye. They replaced God in a month and a half. And that made him mad. And it provoked him to jealousy. They ain't supposed to be worshiping before anybody except him. But they were. Now, let's read this and then I'll say this. Ezekiel 6. And 9, Ezekiel 6, 9, this is what he said to the people of that time. He said, they that escape of you shall remember me among the nations where you shall be carried captives. Because I am broken with their whorish heart, which has departed from me, and with their eyes, which go a whoring after their idols. Does it affect God? See, some people have this idea of God that nothing touches him. Nothing affects him. He's above all that and can't be touched by it. But here's a news flash. God is like you. He's very much like you. Why? Because you're like him. You're made. If you're like him, he's got to be something like you. You can't say, well, we're made in the likeness and image of God, but he's nothing like us. (laughs) Can't be. He has a soul. He has feelings. He gets mad. 
He can be grieved. He sings. He can have his heart broken. It's like you can. Why? You can have yours broken because he does. You're made after his likeness and image. And what did he say had broken him like this? They wrote him off. They replaced him with something else. They replaced him. Now here's the thing. How does that apply to covetousness? How does that apply to daily life? It's choices. Every day. Choices. The Bible said Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather. You know, instead of experiencing the pleasures of sin for a season, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. The real issue comes when you want something and you know God doesn't want you to have it. This is where it comes in. If you say, I know it, I know it, but I want it. And I'll just, you know, sometimes uh, forgiveness is easier to get than permission. So I'll just, you know, I'll do it and repent later. That is spiritual unfaithfulness. You knew what God wanted for you and from you and you just set it aside and said, I know it, but I don't care. I want this. That is exactly the same as moving his altar out of the way and putting the gold calf. That's why covetousness is idolatry. And what we've got to have is such a love in our heart for God. That no matter what we want, if we find out he doesn't want you to have it, we go, whoa, okay, forget it. Yeah, I I had my heart set on it. But if you don't like it, forget it. And even if your flesh squeals and hollers, I want you to say, no, shut up, shut up. I don't care. I have one God. One God. And I all, like Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. I delight to do your will, O God. And you can change, like we said, your desires don't define you and tell you who and what you are. Your body's trainable. Your desires are trainable. And you can be all set. I want this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And the Lord says, I don't want that for you. You can go, right. Now that I look at it again, I don't like it either. You don't like it? I don't like it. Now your flesh will be screaming, oh yeah, we like it. You say, shut up. No, you don't. If God don't like it, we don't like it. You can, you can will to do his will. Can't you? Or you can sit in there and think, well, I don't want to do that. No, no, that's not me. That's not my gift. That's not my grace. That's not my call. No, 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 no. And the Lord said, I want you to do that. You go, right. Now that I look at that again, yeah, I like it. And your head's going, no, we don't. He says, shut up. He likes it. We like it. When it comes to God, you need to be a yes man. Yes. No matter what your flesh wants or doesn't want. Sometimes it squeals. It needs to squeal. You need to mortify it. Right? Nail it. Let it squeal. It can be good for you. I want it. Your flesh goes, I want it. I want it. Shut up. I'm hurting. Well, just hurt then. 
I don't want you to hurt. I want you to die. (laughs) I'm going to die if I can't have that. Good. We want you dead. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Come on now. What will keep us on the right track? What will keep us doing right instead of wrong? What will keep us loving him? We love him. We worship him more than what we want. More than what we thought. More than our plans and our dreams and anything else. We desire him, his will, his way. He is our only God. I'm not my own God. Money's not my God. Sex is not my God. Popularity is not my God. Success is not my God. Right? God. I only have one God. One. Come on. Stand up and say one God. Say it out loud. One God. I only have one God. Come on. Lift up your hands to the most high God. The only living God. Lord, we only have one God. Only. Only one God. Only one God. Only you. Oh, thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.